an, an index or table of contents is exactly, I think, what would be needed. I hate the swamp. I hate the swamp so much. Yeah, it's it, it's not my favorite level. We must have already started because I'm already talking about things that have nothing to do with what we're talking about today. It has to be, but we started what? A podcast of the Super Whiskey Brothers. Super Whiskey Bros podcast. Uh, <laughs> I'm one of those. That's unfortunate. Uh, yeah. Even more unfortunate, you're the other. <laughs> oh, my apologies to you, sir. <clears throat> Now, we've already established who the bros are. It, uh, it is, in fact, you, yourself, and me, yourself. Me, yourself. Me, yourself. Um, uh, not to be confused with Meerschaum, which I don't have. Oh. <clears throat> I'm Briarwood only. Um, uh, that's, not, that's not true. I actually have some cherry wood, but. Uh, 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 I think it's acceptable. But, but, Tyler. Uh, when you're done urinating, what are you drinking? <laughs> Is it the urine? Is it the, it's the urine? I've I've turned pair of grills. I'm um, I'm a yearning for a drink. I'm yearning for some uh. pee. Um, I'm actually for the first time in a while. I'm gonna talk over this crying baby. That's that would be mine. Um, well, I know it's yours. It's not mine. Mm. That's a topic. For time kids um <laughs> this i'm having some more of my new riff bourbon i haven't actually drank whiskey on the podcast for a while just because of being tired and such but today i am and it's my new it's my current favorite thing that i have mm-hmm. and it's one of my favorites of all time yeah that's quite good <clears throat> so i actually uh, i'm pulling a U. oh yeah i I am not in a whiskey mood today. And so, I am actually drinking, since we like to make opening sound effects on here, I'm actually drinking a rain. What the heck? Rain. It sounded like you were lighting 16 matches at one time. Really? Yeah. Mm, I was opening a single can. Mm, it was aggressive. I was leaping whole buildings in a single town. Uh huh. It's a person. Huh. <sighs> well, now that we have drinks. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I have to throw this out here real fast, though. So far, Rain is the only energy drink I've ever had that has multiple flavors. Of of the energy drinks that have multiple flavors, Rain is the only one which every flavor I've tried was delicious. I need to try rain because I, I've, I've quit drinking um, Monster for a while now because I think it's hurting me. Um, I don't really like any of the ones that are more good for you. And Rain is better for you than Monster is, at least. Mm-hmm. Rain. Um, so, okay, I'm so try it. based on, in, at least based on ingredients alone, rain is, uh, rain is the best of them that I've ever seen. <clears throat> um, uh,. It's it's sweetened with a non-nutritive sugar, um, uh, uh, which is the best kind, as far as that goes, and then like all the speeds come from caffeine. 
<clears throat> the seed. Mm-hmm. Oh, there's a place that opened up since you've moved away in the promenade that basically just does um, uh, it's, it's just a healthy drink store mm. and one of the things they make are energy drinks but they, they mix them there in front of you and they use something like I don't know if you remember Spark or not <clears throat> it was a really popular thing for a while to mix into your drink and give you some energy but they make these drinks and they're crazy flavors and everything mm. and it's, it's they're fine but they're so sweet they're just insanely sweet. They're like, no, this ocean is real. Like, I believe you, but I hate it. <clears throat> yeah, then they most likely, they use the same non-nutritive sweetener that goes into goes into this. This one is pretty muted and mild, well, not muted, but mild um, uh, as far as the sweetness goes. But you can taste that it's what they use. Most energy drinks that use this particular thing, they use too much of it because you can use as much as you want because who cares? And they're so sickly sweet and not good. And rain, uh, I have not noticed that with rain. But the non-nutritive sweetener is sucralose. <clears throat> and this place that you go to, that is it, they probably use sucralose, and they probably use it by its... They probably use name brand sucralose, namely Splenda. Splenda. Now, they, I mean, I'm not saying Splenda's not in the equation, <clears throat> but it's this. they use syrups to flavor their drinks. <clears throat> And it's the syrups that are insanely sweet. They're, I mean, not that there couldn't be any of that in the syrups. I have no clue. But it's like, there's like, here's some cold water. Here's a tablespoon of the energy stuff. And here's these syrups. Look, oh, that looks quite nice. It's got two different tones to it. I'm going to spit this out. What have you done? <clears throat> Caffeine is more toxic than gasoline. All right. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> That's true though. If you took like a like a shot glass and filled it up with like pure liquid caffeine, it would absolutely kill you. If you drank it, I should say. Let, <clears throat> let me preface by saying you must drink it. Um, uh... <laughs> Fun conversation I had with a lad the other day. He said, "Hey, did you know that there's so many calories in gasoline that if I drank a gallon of it, it'd be enough to last me the rest of my life?" I said, "You'd be right." Mm-hmm. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> um. Uh, and all, but if you drank that same shot glass of gasoline, it would. It, it would almost certainly not kill you, and the caffeine certainly would. <laughs> well, good. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm putting that in my will. That's how I want to go. Mm-hmm. Caffeine. <laughs> caffeine. He lived like he died, <laughs> tired and looking for a fix. <clears throat> well, it's like you know when they say, "I woke up tired, and so I drank an energy drink, and now I'm tired faster." <laughs> I'm tired faster. Uh, I knew that was. I do that with, I go get, I don't like, I don't drink coffees very much anymore, so I'll get a double shot of espresso, and I'm like, wow, now I'm tired and jittery. So I, I don't drink coffee. Oof. Hey, should we uh, find a topic? Uh... Yeah, sure. Let me find one real fast. Uh, 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 let's go. How about, uh, the, how about C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity? That's a good. I love that book. Yeah. Yeah, every time we talk about C.S. Lewis, we eventually, and it doesn't take too long for us to dive deep into theology, just because you can't talk about C.S. Lewis without doing that. And sure. so we might as well talk about C.S. Lewis's dive into theology. It's worth noting we're considering making this concept a two-parter because we, mm-hmm. uh, when I, when me and Sean were looking for an idea for this weekend, um, I said we could try to do a hybrid 
of the great divorce and mere Christianity. And Sean said, you're an absolute idiot if you think we can fit that into an hour. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it, mere Christianity may take, us, may take us two hours to go over. And I actually had a, a plan on how to go over it, which uh, Tyler quickly rejected and probably wisely because that would have if i we gone by my idea this episode would have would this would be probably four or five episodes uh if we go our episodes yeah and, i don't know and don't honestly let's talk about this in a row yes and honestly if we you know if we get as as dense uh, which we already are pretty dense as yeah, but... um uh, <clears throat> as what i expect this may be you guys may not want to sit through an hour episode and if we only talk for an hour i may still cut it into two episodes so you only get 30 minutes at a time of this <laughs> cuz this is i'm not going to say it's rough it's fantastic but it's you know i was going to say but it's... it's really deep it's not the book is so shallow as far as how deep it goes but that's the point right like it's 200 pages with no depth because the whole purpose of this book is to let you know that as much depth as you think there is in this book it is scratching the surface yeah it's this isn't it's not that it's deep it's that it's thorough because mm-hmm. i mean yeah. if you think about if when you read the book and you see the way he's explaining something he'll give you like two examples bring it back around then start another chapter to redefine all of his terms so it's, it's more like um he's being so thorough and making sure you understand his topic and and in the ways that only he can but my favorite line from i'm just going to say from literature because i'm still so obsessed with it right now mm-hmm. is um, when he's talking about how uh the the law of, um the law of nature mm-hmm. um there's a section where he's like Scientifically, if we're discuss, dis, um, studying anything like, oh, oh, what was the first thing he said? If we're studying anything like um, uh, mathematics or a cabbage, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hilarious. He just, he just, mm-hmm. he's so good. Just in the little things that go here and there. I'm, I'm already getting off. Um, giggity. Um, what was I about to say? I have no idea. But gold, um, darn uh, it. Yeah, what I was going to say, a, a, a good uh, definition. Of um, uh, uh, a, a good definition of how this book is is at no point are you going into one spot and digging deep for a treasure in that spot. But what the book does do is comb the surface of the entire beach. It's quite nice. Mm-hmm. That's that that uh, that that's how uh, that's how I'm describe that. You you know that there's treasure buried under the under the beach this book doesn't go digging for that treasure but it does you do go over the surface of the entire thing normally we do the um uh, um super quick synopsis of a book and make jokes about it instead i would like to just insert a blurb um Mm -hmm. c.s lewis is the greatest author of the 20th century (laughs) that's how i'm summarizing so, uh, our book for the day. Yeah, so I, I my, still stand by that. Yeah. My thing of this, uh, the great, uh, may, possibly greatest overall. Overall. Uh, so, <clears throat> I think a whole lot of the other guy was done in the tail end of the 19th century. I'd have to double check on that. 
And so because of that, I have to, uh, I, I, and, and if that's the case, I would say then that man would be primarily a 19th century author making C.S. Lewis the greatest 20th century. Who are you but, referring to? But if this man, his pri- if his writings were primarily in the early 20th century, then I would have to, at least, I would have to make it a toss-up for the other to be G.K. Chesterton. I was going to say, when I think about all of them and where they've been, mm-hmm. I think G.K. Chesterton is, is mm-hmm. the... Um, the greatest thinker and mm-hmm. the most loquacious. Mm-hmm. Um, I think J.R. Tolkien is is the greatest world builder. I think H.P. Um, Lovecraft is is the greatest storyteller, um, storyteller like mm-hmm. mythos builder, however you want to say yeah. that. But I think if you look at mm-hmm. overall, I think C.S. Lewis is, is he does a little bit of all of it. He does all of it well, and no one uh, puts thoughts <clears throat> to paper quite like he does um it's very very hard to have a good idea and then it's much harder to put that good idea down on paper to where people understand exactly what your idea was i don't think anyone does that like c.s lewis does it i think he does it the best and that's why he's the best author yeah my wife said it better than anyone else i've ever heard just last night she said the thing about mere christianity is he's not saying anything that a Christian doesn't already know. He is just putting into words what we never could. That's great, and I like that an awful lot. Um, But I would have to say, there's a lot of things in here that a lot of Christians probably actually don't know mm-hmm. or, or at least have never really thought about or realized in any real extent that that that's part um, that's part of it too when you realize that like because because uh, when, when you read it the realization hits you but then when the realization hits you you also realize i knew this all along <laughs> but you didn't really you didn't realize that you had known it because because um uh Obviously, and this, this is going to be gone over, and we're going to go over you know, as soon as we start really getting into the meat of the book because we're twenty minutes in and we haven't said a thing about it. I yet. know, but I know. but is this you know it is, it's, it's all well and good. I think that this is one of those things that as long as we're generally talking about the topic, we're on topic because of how how all encompassing the topic of this book is. Accurate. But, yeah, but the um uh, the natural state. When you get to that point of, I knew this all along, but I didn't realize it, because the as it stands now, the natural state of man is this sinful creature um, uh, outside of God that, you know, whatever, because that is the, the state that man has forced upon himself. But the <clears throat> the true state of man is that of an understanding of God and a relationship with him. So therefore you don't know any of this stuff by instinct, but then there's like a hidden instinct that wakes up upon believing and becoming a Christian. So therefore you didn't realize that instinct was there because it was so suppressed and hidden. And then all of a sudden that's there. And it's the same sort of thing. You do so many things by instinct right now and it's the same thing now you have this new instinct at this point and then you're like so you have you you do kind of know but you don't know that you know so you still have to be told 
but you also I I, w- I would think that a person a person becomes a, a person becomes a Christian and then if they strive to that to the end of remaining and building up in that area they would never have to be told another thing because the new what whatever you want to call it, I'll refer to it in this case in, in this one case as the new instinct um, uh, which of course is just God being there and guiding will guide you and continue on and you'll do things right if you're trying to because you have to actively try to keep that up but it's 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 just going to be there and that's kind of what this that's kind of what this book is is taking all those instincts that you the the uh, the initial instincts of course nothing it doesn't go again it doesn't go too deep that's why it's mere christianity there's no christianity and in this at all which i like um uh, and he as far as for a book i like it and he's he's going to go into that and it's just these are all the things that are and should be natural to a Christian, but let me tell you about them. And now that you have it in words, you may better you may you may better think about it and continue it. Um, because uh, this is partially a a a, a an ir- fairly irrefutable proof of you know natural proof of Christianity, and also partially for Christians saying, look, here are the things that you should know and probably do know but now that you have them in words you can better articulate to yourself and continue yeah i i think i think a lot of that that last sentence in particular not that it not that the rest of what you said isn't right but uh-huh. <clears throat> the last sentence is kind of um <clears throat> the most important wrap up of the book uh-huh. to me if i if i were trying to describe uh-huh. this to someone like why should you read this um as because i would tell any person who is just likes good literature, any person who just likes to read about, mm-hmm. like to, to to go over a good thought experiment, mm-hmm. um, anyone who is is like likes to read, so let's say you're a Christian, you're looking for the self help book. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is that book. Um, this isn't the book for like um, this isn't the chicken soup for the soul style of of reading for for you know religious writing. It's it's just a really good breakdown. It, it, I'm trying. I'm trying to put into words a thought I'm having, and since I'm not seeing it, Lewis, it's difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, this is to me the companion book mm-hmm. to a Bible for a Christian, because mm-hmm. um, there's lots of things like I really enjoy reading. Um, um, chambers um mm. i like i like doing my almost for his highest um as a daily devotional i, I thing. was I'm i was going fan. to mention that specific book and then you said chambers and i knew where you were going yeah, yeah. <laughs> like i i like that as like um <clears throat> in, in a similar way mm. for like a daily devotional thing i've done it for a long time because uh, no matter how many times i hit the same day only a year a year later it could mean something different to me in the same way that reading a passage uh, will mean something different to you at different points in your life. Of, of the passage of the Bible will mean something different at different points. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, that that's a that's that's one thing. And then I think that something like mere Christianity is something that's completely separate. I think this is a book that you should read mm-hmm. once a year. I think you should read this book once a year um, as like a refresher course, as a companion to the concept of who you are trying to be. Mm-hmm. Um, as a 
follower of Christ in general. Yeah. Um, and man, we haven't even started this gosh darn book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So here's here, here's here's how I would put this in. Um, uh, it, it it goes it goes like this. Read the abolition of man first and foremost, and this this is this is to a person who isn't a Christian, but you are going to become a Christian through argument. If you're going to become a Christian through argument, this is this is using just C.S. Lewis books. This is how you could come to that. Read the abolition of man. You get a lot of good philosophy and almost zero theology in the abolition of man. Then now now you're in a philosophical state that you can start to really accept things and you know because the a lot of the first book of mere Christianity goes into some of the same philosophy that the abolition of man goes into. Then read Mere Christianity Book 1, and that gets you in the mindset to understand that there must be something like a god. Then read the next couple books and learn who that god is and what he's about. And then, by this point, you've become a Christian through argument. And then next, and this is, of course, you know, Obviously, not not a guarantee. Just because you read mere Christianity, you're not gonna. Oh, I've read it now. I'm a Christian. But um, uh, but I'm I'm saying you know, if you're gonna do that through argument, this is, there's enough argument in this book to argue its way, to argue your way there, and then once you've become a Christian through argument, so you've become you 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 be, you've gained decent philosophy through argument with the abolition of man. You become a Christian through argument via mere Christianity, and then you've re your faith through argument by reading the screw tape letters. It's not a bad timeline. <clears throat> mm-hmm. <clears throat> Should we start this book? Uh, let's start the book. Okay. I think we need to. I think we need to. This is now just a conversation between me and you. Uh-huh. I think we've officially reached the point where we've introduced the book really, really well. Mm-hmm. But we, we're probably going to end up not going over this entire book in this episode. I think I said right when we started this podcast, like, yeah, we, we can't, we're just going to have to gloss or maybe we should gloss more and, and we'll just kind of get the whole book on one episode. Cause I don't want to talk about it twice, but I think we're gonna have to talk about this twice. Yeah. I think, I, I think that's, that's going to be the case unless we just glossed over the whole thing right now <laughs> and just went over the whole thing in 30 minutes. <laughs> I don't think that would be very helpful. So book one, book one, the title of Book One of Mere Christianity is Right and Wrong as a Clue to the Meaning of the Universe. <laughs> That's fantastic. That's like the, the deepest title you can mm-hmm. think of, and then it's just such just such normal mm-hmm. verbiage and, and <clears throat> great writing. Mm-hmm. Um, so the law of human nature. I'm looking at the uh yep. <clears throat> here as well. I don't have a physical copy of the book. Like I'm sure Sean does. I actually do, but it's just not in front of me. Um, <coughs> the law of human nature. So this entire book gets gets to a to a point that's a lot um, more intense than than the first couple chapters kind of lead you to believe. Um, so Lewis is kind of describing in here the concept um, of the law of human nature uh, and describes it in a way that says like here's here is how we are 
led to walk as humans um there, there's a there's a descriptor in there that he uses talking about saying if you're the only um the only law that man can reject Mm-hmm. is the one that is not given to him the same way it's given to inanimate objects and animals. Mm-hmm. Whereas all the laws that are given to man and animals and inanimate objects, such as gravity <laughs> or the need for sustenance or these sorts of things, <clears throat> none of us can go against those laws without severe consequences. Um, the only law that is given to us, the law of human nature, is the only one that we can break and consistently break mm-hmm. yeah, at so- a high rate. <clears throat> Yeah, so that is um, uh, uh, as one one of the things he described, it said like the the law of gravity, um, uh, specifically describes what a stone does when you drop it. These other laws of nature, not the not the law of human nature, but the other laws of nature, describe what things do. It is merely the facts of it's merely a description of the facts of the matter, whereas the law of human nature is a law that fairly well everyone recognizes and it's a law that shows that states not what men do but what men ought to do and frequently don't and frequently and usually don't (laughs) and rarely do (laughs) i i don't think Mm -hmm. this is one of those things where gosh darn it i just wish we could just read the entire thing everyone just Mm -hmm. needs to go read this book Um, I know we always say that whenever we're going over one of these and that's the point but we could never get all of the same thoughts across in the way that he does um, because he lays it out so well he talks a lot about um, there's a good section there talking about the law of human nature but I find it it to be a pretty good descriptor Mm -hmm. talking about the Nazis for instance so like well we get awfully angry at them because of all the terrible things that they did but the law of Mm -hmm. human nature is what we're going by so if that's if we didn't have that to go by if there was no objective whatever there was there was nothing wrong yeah if there was no objective good there can be no objective evil so yes so yes we would view what the Nazis do uh, or did as as not great as evil and bad but provided that if there were there no objective moral law then they may view it as perfectly acceptable and then who would we be to to call them bad uh but mm-hmm. you know fortunately there is and and anyone you uh, you can get anyone to admit this fact and that is there is an objective moral truth uh, so like 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 what the uh, what he went over, uh, and that is uh, things like you know they may, there there may be a um, uh, one society that says you um uh, uh, there may be one society that says you can only have one wife, and one society that says no you can have four wives, but no society that says. Uh, or no society that the whole society says no. Any man can go about having whichever woman he so chooses, which our society uh, is li- kind of going in that direction. But <laughs> <laughs> but that just shows the total scrapping of the of of, of morality. Um. Uh, <clears throat> but oh. yeah, this is his way of, of um, eventually <laughs> refuting the concept of saying like oh. Well, morality doesn't come from God. Morality comes from oh, we're humans and we should be decent to other humans. Mm-hmm. This is a kind of a refutal of that. Eventually, as you get all the way through, um, the, the concept of why this has to come from 
um, an, an entity, original creator, original person who gives those laws to us as opposed to this concept of saying, yeah, it's really easy to say, oh, well, you don't have to have God to be moral. You're just decent. Well, you're correct. You don't have to become a Christian to be a decent person. I mean, no one's saying that. There are many, many decent people who may or may not be Christians, but the entire concept is that the law of human nature that you have inside of you that leads you to not to to be a decent person, to not commit acts of atrocities and, and be a... Uh, a spiteful, vengeful person does come from this entity and this <clears throat> concept and the person who set all this in motion. Yeah. The, so the, the, the statement is, um, uh, it said, <clears throat> you'll find yourself with when, when anytime you have, have two options, one that would go against the moral law and one that would go with it, you'll find yourself with two instincts. One is the instinct of self-preservation or self-convenience or self-indulgence or any such thing uh the thing that would benefit you and the other is the thing that would be in accordance with the moral law therefore would likely cause more benefit to another person though not necessarily and so now you're faced with these two things that you could call two instincts but they are absolutely warring instincts not not in the slightest bit agreeing one with the other and then there's always a third thing that is that it tends to push you and say, no, no, don't do the thing that is going to benefit you at the detriment of, of the other person. Do the, do the right thing. Do the good thing. The uh, thing that you know is objectively good. And that third voice that is telling you not to do, you know, that is telling you that you must do the right thing, that you must suppress your instinct to do the, uh, to, to, do, to suppress your second instinct to do the wrong thing, that voice could not possibly be either of those instincts themselves. Uh, as he said, any more than the, the sheet of music telling you to play a certain key could be the key itself. Yeah, and then he goes on to say the same kind of concept about, mm -hmm. um, you know, there, that he uses that analogy again, which I really like, um, mm -hmm. that he keeps bringing that same concept back. Not that he's using this, the music as over and over again, but that he likes to use the same analogy mm -hmm. and show it keeps working. Saying so like there are no there are no wrong notes, just that just, just depending on the timing in which to do all that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. It's he, he that was that wasn't anything about your topic. It was just he's so good at this. It's incredible. Yeah, there are, there are on a piano. There are no wrong notes. Uh, almost every note on the piano is the right note at some point. But in order to play the song you are meant to be played then you must play them at the right time. This Then that ties into, oh man, I hope this is in the same book. My mind is a little bit just <clears throat> confused enough about which book this section is in. Mm -hmm. um, that I might be getting technically off topic for us, and if so, I'll, <clears throat> I'll take it back. But um, he eventually gets into talking about how um, one of my favorite concepts from the book is saying that there is only... In the beginning, good. There's only uh, that. You only have good. And then from that good, mm -hmm. you have things that evil has taken to mm -hmm. um, um, and to to give you, you know, a different type of, of the, the wrong version of that same <clears throat> pleasure that you would get from, from doing good and being good and just <clears throat> pervert it. There's nothing that is originally evil. 
Oh man, this is further in the book. This is definitely further in the book because it's that really, really deep mm-hmm. concept of um talking about how, saying how <clears throat> duality is wrong and it's not good versus evil because technically in the in the in, in the the in that particular philosophy has to say that there was always good and there was always evil and then those two things were warned that the concept that there yeah. was always good and evil perverted the good. Yeah, but it's a, and that is um uh, uh in in with the concept of dualism, there is one good and one evil. The good is just the embodiment of good, but the evil is just the embodiment of evil. Good for good's sake and evil for evil's sake. But uh, man can't understand the concept of evil for evil's sake because then we would have to recognize that the evil must be objectively evil. Therefore, there must be a genuine standard against which to weigh it, which means good is right and evil is wrong. And a man cannot be evil for evil's sake. That is to say, a man who is, who is cruel and would cheat another man or kill another man doesn't go about doesn't go about saying I'm going to cheat this man not because it would benefit me any but because it is wrong just because it is wrong I will cheat this man right it is I'm going to cheat this man because it benefits me so therefore it is for the like so he wishes to to convenience himself to bring himself some some pleasure or other and the pleasure that he is trying to bring himself is in and of itself not evil and potentially is good. So I wish to bring myself money. That's good. It's good to br- to give your it's good to get money for yourself. The evil comes in when you are doing it in the wrong way by cheating someone else or so there, therefore evil deeds are always done in the pursuit of some good or other. Yeah. Which is that's 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 a concept that I don't think I was ready for when I first mm-hmm. read it, because it's just like, it's not something you think about. Um, mm-hmm. That goes back to what you'd said earlier about saying it's something that you didn't know until you heard it. Then it makes sense, like you've always known it, but you've never said it. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it because it, it, it just ties in with the entire concept of of how it it should be, how it would have to be, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but you never thought about it. Yeah, <clears throat> and then we. Um. Uh, oh man, I had something I was I was thinking about and I had forgotten. But um. Uh, uh, we get into uh, this is this is still in this section in in the section about the the the, the moral law. Um. Uh, but yeah. So therefore, yeah. Therefore, there must be something behind the moral law, because if it's just the instinct of man, then what is it that's in us deciding which instinct to follow? So there must be some living, th- or some, not necessarily living thing, but some conscious thing, um, as he describes it, something that is more like a mind than it is like anything else we know. <clears throat> and that is, I, I think that's, that's a great description. Um, uh, and then, uh, hold on, let, me, let me go back over the chapter titles here so I can, <laughs> be, so I, so I can be thinking about this because I had my book open somewhere else. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah, and then we have, have in here, uh, in the, the last chapter of the first book, and that doesn't necessarily mean we're done with the first book, just because I'm in the last chapter, but, um, uh, uh, the last chapter is titled, We Have Cause to Be Uneasy, because if we know this moral law is always pushing us to do good, no matter what, no matter how it inconveniences us, or what it is, and if this if the if the force behind the entity the consciousness the mind the god behind this moral law is good 
that doesn't necessarily mean that, or or uh, if he is nothing but good, and that is it. I guess I'll let me let me stop where I was saying there and, and rephrase it that way. If he is nothing but good, and that is it, that would mean that he is completely intolerant of evil if he is only good so for us to go to this divine being and say look I know I failed to follow this this good and I was not able to do so but you know would you would you let me off just this once there is no as long as we stop there and just say there is a divine being and he is good that is he loves all that is good and despises all that is evil. There's no reason why we should be able to go to that being and say, will you please let me off? Because mm. while forgiveness is good, forgiveness doesn't mean a lack of punishment in and of itself. That is to say, if someone murdered a family member of mine, I can forgive that person that is, I, ho I harbor no ill will toward them. I've forgiven them. But I can still advocate for the death penalty for that person as just punishment for having killed my family member. I could even be the one to administer that punishment. I, I, now, the, differ the difference is this. The difference is this. Right. Because, you know, say I was, you know, say I was I I was the town executioner. And so and therefore I would have to be the one to administer that punishment, the, the, the punishment of death to this person. But I could have forgiven him if someone kills a family member of mine. If I have not forgiven him, I am actively seeking to kill him myself as revenge. But if I have forgiven him, then I no longer harbor him necessarily ill will. But I, so, so therefore, I am not seeking to do him harm myself, but I also recognize that justice is also good, and justice means punishment. And so if, so therefore, I can say, I forgive you, I harbor no ill will towards you, but what you did is still deserving of death, and I believe that you need to have the death penalty assigned to you. And then they say, yep, that's correct. That's the appropriate punishment. You're the executioner. Do the deed. And I take my, my headsman's axe and shing. And I could do that whole, go through the whole process of beheading that man and still harbor him no ill will. So I can forgive a man while I, I can forgive a man while I'm killing him in that case. So therefore, this being that is, if all he is is ultimate good, he can forgive us because that's good. But that still doesn't mean we'd be off the hook. I'm, I'm completely agreeing with you. If I'm we stop there, if we stop there. <laughs> I'm trying to find, I'm trying to find, I'm scrolling through the book to find mm -hmm. one of my favorite passages that, that goes into this. And it's killing me because I'm scrolling as fast as I can, but obviously I don't remember exactly what spot it's in. It's going yeah. along with that. Which, and I said this. This wasn't a direct, this wasn't a quote from the book, but it was inspired by this book. Something that I said, I actually put it on my Facebook page the other day while I was reading this book. I said, God is good. And if it weren't for grace, that fact would be terrifying. Yeah, it's a, it's a, 
that it's a deep thinking thing because when we're as people we we walk around mm-hmm. <clears throat> not really understanding the concept of of that actual goodness mm-hmm. yeah. um, of of what that actually means and and that statement I think the number of people who read that post that you made and had mm-hmm. no clue what you were talking about is probably off the charts. Mm-hmm. Well, um, it's, uh, you wouldn't have to realize I was referencing this book in order to understand no, 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 what I was no, talking not, about. But that's yeah. a, but that's not what I mean. I mean. Uh-huh. <laughs> That people would the number of times the number of people that would read that and raise an eyebrow well, that doesn't make any sense because their concept of thinking like well if he is good then he is forgiving but that's mm-hmm. not what that means yeah that's that if he and, is good then he is gracious still not mm-hmm. what that means yeah it, see, that it means it, that if he mm-hmm. is that good then he should be mm-hmm. punishing and he should be. Mm-hmm. And I mean, obviously, using vengeful is the wrong word. I don't really want to use mm-hmm. here, obviously. But you, the concept is that if he is good, <clears throat> I mean, we would think about being um, um, if we were going to align that, we'd say like, if we were to say he's neutral, good, mm-hmm. he is just the concept of good. That means I'm a just good. That means um, um, disciplinary good. <clears throat> that means all of these things. It means they're basically saying like, oh, well, I looked you right in the eye and said don't do this thing mm-hmm. well now you've done this thing here's the consequence and on the scale that we're speaking that consequence is very steep mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i mean like without the concept like that, that that's where where people get lost is is they think of good in this very very uh, <clears throat> this very very shallow sense mm-hmm. And and that's that's what this Lewis does such a good job of describing is we have such a shallow understanding of what good means. Um, we think of good as like all the things that we get from it. We think of good from our perspective as oh this person's being good to me because they're doing these things, or I'm being good to this person because of what I'm doing to them. But if we think about the concept of the all-knowing, all-powerful, all-present creator of the universe being good, that's terrifying. Yeah, and see, that's the thing, because when you think of good, like, you know, you think of a good God would just give us everything we desire and have a perfect world for absolutely everyone. That is a good. That is a good that a God could do. Just like a good that I could do for a homeless person is go to that person and say, don't worry about it, I've bought you a house and I set you up a bank account, you have unlimited amount of money, don't live on the streets, go live in this mansion, spend this all this infinite money on whatever you want to spend it on. That would be a good that I could do for that person. But a better good would be go to this person who is, law of averages, looking at a lot of homeless people, especially in the bigger cities, uh, find ways of helping this person with their, you know, mental problems, get them set up and, and, and give them help, get, help them find a network of people that can help them, get them going, get them on their feet, help them get a job and then say, now you're working, you're doing this, you know, you got this and now you can, I've been helping you and now you can stand on your own. I'm here for you if you need me, but you got this dude. That is also good. And it is a better good. And then another good, not for the homeless person, but for the greater good, for the good of the community and for the society, would be to say, you're a homeless person, you are messing up the quality of life for the community, 
greater good says I need to get rid of you. Those are three different goods. One harms the homeless person. One does not help the homeless person, but it's being good to him. And one is a genuine help to the man. Three goods, one is better than the other two. And one is possibly worse because you're really harming the homeless person by getting rid of him. But, you know. (laughs) But those are all goods. So if all this God is, is good... And now, and there's some people who would show that, say, oh, no, you don't need to do this. Some people who would say, you want to give the mansion to the homeless person. Some people say, you want to help them. Some people have said, yes, get rid of them for the greater good. Everybody would, everybody would argue one of those points, and all three of those points would be argued because all three of those points are good. <clears throat> and so there, so there is a, 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 an ultimate larger good. So just because we know that now now we've established that there must be a moral law. If there is a moral law, there must be a consciousness behind it, and that consciousness is good, but that doesn't mean that it's a good that we must agree with. Well, and, and again, that, that ties back to why that's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, it, we don't, we clearly don't get to dictate. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this is really where people who, this is why arguing theology with someone who um, detests the concept of religion or or, or um, hates the idea that there would be a God. Not that doesn't believe in God, but someone who hates the idea of a God. Because those are two very different kinds of people. Um, this is why it's very difficult to argue these kinds of points. Because you can't put yourself mm-hmm. mentally... If you're that kind of person, you can't put yourself mentally into a place where you can actually think about this and take this as a thing like, Oh, cause it's very easy. Cause I, I, I love reading and, and watching, uh, Stephen Fry, uh, Stephen Fry is incredibly intelligent. He's a great writer. Um, and he's a fantastic human being overall, genuinely. Uh, but he's also a very renowned atheist. Um, and he, he, he has a very famous clip. I have to, um, I have to make a small correction to your, uh, thing about Stephen, Stephen Fry. Say what? I have to make a correction about what you said about Stephen Fry. Um, uh, and that is this. Uh, he is not an atheist. He's a gay-theist. Mm, mm, yes, of course. He, he's a fabulous atheist. <laughs> um, but he, he's, he's famous for a lot of things, but one of his most um, noted clips he's, he's ever been, uh, that's ever been shared, that's been passed around a lot, is someone asked him the question, what would you do if um, you met God, you met a God, what would you say to him? And like, would like, what if you found out there was a heaven? Mm-hmm. And his first answer is, mm-hmm. well, I wouldn't want to go because I'd be going on his terms. And he said, okay, well, let's, let's say you, you meet God in whatever scenario. What would you say to him? Mm-hmm. And his, his response is, the first thing I would say is, how dare you? <laughs> and that's his first thought, right? Mm-hmm. His first thing is, "How dare you?" Mm-hmm. He's like these tragedies over here. He goes into a lot of detail that I don't, uh, where I don't want to waste time on just saying all the things that he said. The clip's <clears throat> easy to find. Yeah. But he said, "My question to God would be, how dare you?" Mm-hmm. And you can't talk about these concepts to someone who has the thought in their mind, like Stephen Fry. How dare you? Mm-hmm. You, you. Uh, how dare you be? 
how dare you be good and just and gracious and then give us the ability to make our own decisions that affect the entire world right Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's the problem how dare you be all powerful and then let us choose and let us deal with our own consequences that's what he's ultimately saying he's he's not saying that but that's Mm -hmm. what it is how dare you be this good god this just god and then offer the grace and the concept of allowing us to make our own choices Mm -hmm. That's what he's really angry about, is the fact that he hasn't just taken... If there, Oh, if there is a god, then he should have taken over. But that's mm-hmm. the thing. That's the concept. Uh, grace falls into so many different things. We think about grace as Christians and just say, well, that's the cross, that's the repentance, that's the ability to get to heaven, and that's the ability to <clears throat> slip and fall and make mistakes and come back into the fold over and over again. And that's great, and that's fantastic. But grace goes so much further into being... That's grace is also if there is grace, then there must be the choice and there must be the ability for us to make our own choices, do our own things and pay for our own consequences. And unfortunately, those have giant worldwide ramifications in some cases. And just because God hasn't stepped in and been like, oh, you know what? That mistake was too big. You've affected too many people and committed too many atrocities. And now I must go against the rules I've set for myself that I told you I would set for myself. You can't argue these points with that person. And it's so, it's, you can't, the problem, you'll, and, and you have friends like this, I'm sure, because I have friends like this. I don't have friends. They feel like, <laughs> well, there's that too. Uh, acquaintances then. Mm-hmm. The, these people that fancy these themselves, these deep, great thinkers, that so when they've come to these conclusions, they're like, ah, and here's why, and this is why. I'm like, but you're so shallow, you've missed the entire point. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is the concept. <clears throat> yeah, and that is as we're going into the into the next book, uh, book two, what Christians believe, and that is um uh, uh, one Move. of the things that's mentioned in there. Said um uh, uh, <laughs> everyone who has children know what it's like for a thing to be both in your will and against your will because the mother would say I'm not going to make you tidy up the schoolroom every single night you must do it on your own therefore it is her will that her kids tidy up the schoolroom and that they learn to be responsible and do it on their own so when she comes in a few days later and sees that everything's everything's in shambles She'll look in and she will see that her will of letting them learn to be responsible and doing it themselves, that the the mistakes were part of that will and the, the refusal to do so because the making it voluntary was her will. So therefore her will was done, but it was also her will that the schoolroom be clean and that part of her will was broken. <clears throat> nice that, way, by the way. Uh, yeah, and that is um. Uh, yeah, and that is where I think that's a good uh, th- that that initial introduction into book two is a great spot to do that. Uh, and so yeah, that is the end of the first episode of Mere Christianity. Uh, we just went over book one. There's four books in this in this volume. Uh, fantastic. <laughs> um, uh, I think we're gonna be able to cover more ground without having to give our thoughts and background on mere christianity so maybe we can get through at least two books next time possibly holy cow it's been an hour yeah it's been an hour that's what i'm saying we're through book one and that's this that's this whole episode so um uh uh next time you see us talking about this book it'll be about 
either book two or books two and three or books two, three, and four. We'll see what happens. But for now, bye. Hey. Hey, uh, so I got to go do something. Um, uh, have fun. Yeah, Brooke needs me to go do the, uh, uh, have to go set out some garage sale stuff. Um, oh, do nice. you want to break and then return? And then, so we're recording multiple episodes today. Or do you want to, uh, or do you want to cut off there and then uh, do some more? Like we'll do more studying on the on books two, three, and four, and then pick up recording next week. I would rather pick up recording just because one, I'm we unexpectedly have the girls over. Uh, mm-hmm. We don't normally on this weekend, but we do, mm-hmm. which I'm happy about. But yeah. I would rather hang out with them. Mm-hmm. But also because I I restudied <clears throat> book one pretty thoroughly to talk about it but i mm-hmm. didn't go through the rest of them again so i'd like to have this week to to kind of dive back in because it takes me longer to the mm-hmm. to process than it does you <laughs> i had pulled up a scripture that i was going to um uh that that, that i was going to go over or not go over but mention uh when we were talking about the other thing the uh that when god is good uh thing and i pulled it up to say it and then i completely forgot but I'm, I'll, I'll go ahead and say it um, uh, now and then because I'm still technically recording and I may like find a way to squeeze it in or something. I don't sure. know. But I'm um, going to see if I can like cut out my saying of this and pop it in the middle of something. But uh, um, uh, Hebrews 1031. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. Somebody, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> well, that's the entire – that's uh, William Branham. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the whole William Branham thing. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the, not to, and not because obviously we're not recording or not. What well, I don't care if you answered this and it doesn't matter. But I mean, that's the, um, uh, falls back into, uh, what's his name? Is it Ray Graff? Maybe that name sounds Ray Comfort. Familiar. Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort. Ray Comfort. Yeah. Ray Comfort. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> I mean, that's his, his, um, penultimate statement mm-hmm. um that kind of goes behind everything that he's ever said mm-hmm. is if you are on an airplane, and you, this doesn't really tie in. I just love it so much. It, it loosely ties in. And I just love saying it out loud. Mm-hmm. If you're on an airplane <clears throat> and you hand someone a parachute mm-hmm. and say, um, take this parachute because mm-hmm. it will make your life better. Uh, and the person takes the parachute thinking it will make their life better. Mm-hmm. Um, then everyone starts making fun of you for being the only one around them where having a parachute, you're eventually going to put the parachute down. Mm-hmm. If you are on a plane and you hand someone a parachute and said, two of our engines just blew up, this is going to save your life. While people are making fun of you of that, mm-hmm. you're going to hold on to the parachute. Not only are you going and to it, hold on to the parachute, you're going to do your absolute hardest to convince everyone else to put on a parachute, too. To put on a parachute. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <clears throat> and that, that It's a loose tie-in, mm-hmm. I realize. It's like a, mm-hmm. a conjoined thought, but mm-hmm. it's... um. It's the only reason why I've ever stood by the fire and brimstone preaching. <clears throat> I don't think it's the only kind of, <clears throat> mm-hmm. of of way you should reach someone, but I believe it's effective for that reason. But yeah, that's the same thing. The the concept of being like, eventually there has to be justice. Yeah. Well, it's like at um, some point there must be. Let me find this. It's in Jude. 21, 22, and 23. So keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And of some, have compassion, making a difference. And others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment spotted by the flesh. This concludes part one of Mere Christianity by C.S. Lewis. The next part will feature more of the book.